Hi everyone, welcome to the Smallville Sessions. My name is Vivek and I'm very excited that you could join us today. It's an exciting time on television for superheroes. We've got The Flash, Arrow, Daredevil, uh, Heroes, Reborn, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But before any of these shows were able to hit the airwaves, they had a predecessor and that predecessor was Smallville. Smallville came out in 2001 and it lasted all the way to 2011. We are now coming upon the five year anniversary since Smallville had its series finale. That um, makes me feel old. Uh, it's, it it kind of makes me think about how time's really flown. But it also reminds me of all the times that I've thought about Smallville even when it hasn't been airing new original episodes. And I think that speaks to the impact of Smallville. It's a show that resonated and spoke to a lot of people because the story was so universal, even though it was about this alien who was you know, put in a ship and ended up in a cornfield in America. So I think by revisiting this show we'll be able to tap into why it's been able to stand the test of time and become iconic in its own right. Please join me on this pilot episode and we'll be you know taking it from here and then going all the way to the series finale. This is the first time I've ever recorded a podcast so please bear with me on technical glitches and sound issues so but hopefully we'll all have a lot of fun. I definitely uh, I'm excited, so let's get to it. Okay, well that was a bit of a rough intro, but you could tell I was nervous. However, now we get to the fun stuff, which is doing our commentary on the Smallville pilot. I That ting you might have heard in the backdrop was me turning on my tablet and setting the pilot to run. I downloaded this episode through uh, Google uh, the YouTube service. You can find the Smallville pilot on iTunes, on DVD. It's it's running on repeats on TNT, but you don't see it streaming on things like Netflix and Hulu and other providers like that quite yet because I think there's some s legal issues that's being hashed out with the original producers and Warner Brothers. So it might be a little while before you see it show up on one of those platforms. Uh, let me uh, remind everyone that they can follow us on at SmallvillePod on Twitter. Uh, it's it's going to be something that I'm going to be updating and you can give your feedback there. Also feel free to email us with questions or comments on SmallvilleSessions at gmail.com. Uh, let's, let's start this episode and kind of get into it. Okay, well, the first shot we get is basically a meteor storm, and we get to see Clark's ship coming through the cosmos. Uh, Superman fans will know that, you know, there's a reason why a ship is hurtling towards Earth, but for people who might not be acquainted with Superman for some apparent reason, or might be just completely new to this show, um, it's it, it's it's kind of strange to see a meteor storm and a ship coming out of nowhere. So uh, then we get a kind of shot of 
Smallville, the cornfields, and we the first character we see is Lionel Luther actually, and he's holding a newspaper about Oliver Industries, like Queen Industries, which ties to Oliver Queen and Green Arrow, but they're not really going to touch on Oliver Queen and Green Arrow until season six. So, I mean that's that's an early Easter egg they're dropping in. Uh, the next sort of shot we get to is um, kind of Lex being nervous about having to kind of be on an airplane helicopter and his dad just telling him don't be a pussy <laughs> and um, uh, then we are able to kind of move forward to uh, Lana Lang who's who's a very small child kind of in Lex Luthor's age range probably a bit younger um, she definitely is younger when they establish it on the show but you can tell that Lana is in a princess sort of outfit and she's she's in a kind of a, a garden area, gardening like sort of home, mixing up my words here, but you know, place where you buy plants basically. <laughs> and um, Annette O'Toole's Martha Kent and John Schneider's Jonathan Kent are visiting, picking up stuff. And Martha Kent is definitely thinking a lot about kids and wanting to have a kid. Um, apparently they can't have them uh, currently and you know, John Snyder's trying to be comforting around that. It's, it's, you really get a sense of how small of a town Smallville is. It is small town America in the Midwest and it's a bright, happy day. Uh, they have no idea that an impending spaceship and meteor storm is on its way a lot of the clip footage here of like parades and people being cheerful was put in the advertising. So was a lot of the meteor storm um, for the pilot. I really think they didn't want to market this show as a Superman show straight off the bat or at all. <laughs> you know, they wanted to give it its own field. It, like Dawson's Creek, Roswell, those were the sort of WB shows on at the time. And I think they just wanted to slot this one in and have it be of the same ilk, but then have some, you know, clear Easter eggs that this is kind of Superman related because it is Smallville. There are characters like called Lex and Clark and Lana. So uh, th that way they could pull in a bit of the comic book hero sort of demographic as well. Uh, we're seeing Lex Luthor kind of a young Lex Luthor in a cornfield and he's He's definitely a kind of weak kid, but he still has his hair at this point, so he's got that going for him. And um, he's he's running about in a cornfield, and his dad's not watching him, Lionel, who's doing business development stuff. And that's when Lex sees a kid, um, a high school age kid with an S on his chest, and he, he seems to be in like almost a crucified position. And um, that before he can absorb that, there's a meteor kind of explosion, and he sees he sees dirt hurtling towards him, the kid, and he's kind of running, and it's it's an ex it's it's kind of chaos, and that's only a small kind of glimpse of the kind of meteor um, onslaught that's about to hit this city, and this town's not ready for it. <laughs> I gotta say that the special effects. For this episode, um, again, we're just kind of looking at the opening. So far, it's kind of holding up. You know, I'm 
like a lot of TV shows, they put a lot of money into the pilot. And this meteor shower was really groundbreaking special effects wise when it first came out. And it really made an impact. And I, I gotta say, it's it hasn't aged too badly considering it's from 2001. Uh, this, this is heavily probably inspired by Armageddon type effects. And you know, they're really showing the violent nature of these meteor showers. Uh, the, you've got to also think about the context here. This was about a month after 9-11 and you know showing you know a town being attacked by something uh, had implications and it, it, it could really kind of, it could be something that people could watch and kind of you know relate to seeing that you know it's possible for this sort of stuff to happen and when we get to Smallville, it's so idyllic. It's, it's like a very innocent town. And this meteor shower is, is rocking it to the core. Um, this, this is, it really set up the stage for this show and what it could be, what it could become. Everything that kind of happens from this point on to I'd say all the way up to maybe like season six has influence on the meteor shower and um, that you know speaks to how deep this concept was which is a meteor shower impacts a town what comes of it now we know Superman uh, Kryptonians all those things have the possibility of coming of it but you know what what happens really if you've got meteor shower hitting a town and what does it do to a town's psyche and its citizens so um yeah it's 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 really you know this sh this episode was directed by david nutter who he's directed the episodes game of thrones entourage uh, obviously smallville here and he's really the arrow uh, he's really the guy that you call in when you're trying to get a pilot off the ground and you need a really great first episode and you want it to kind of have a huge impact and get your show picked up. So um, the the showrunners here, uh, I believe Al Go and Miles Miller or Mark Miller. Um, no, that's not Mark Miller. I'm gonna do some research. <laughs> but Al Go is definitely one of them. And I'll get the other person's name. They, they did well by having David Nutter direct this episode. And it, this look would really kind of be replicated by future directors on future episodes. Um, we're at this scene here where Clark um, is a young little kid who's popped out of a spaceship. It's very akin to the scene um, in Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve where the Kents discover Clark or Clark discovers them in this case because they're in a car accident. Um, Jonathan looks visibly shocked still. Uh, Martha seems kind of satisfied that she's got a kid out of this whole thing. So, you know, she's she's not really fully <laughs> absorbing that all that's gone on here, like a huge explosion just happened to overturn their car and this kid's out there and. Clearly, I don't know if they know that a larger meteor shower has hit the rest of Smallville at this, at this point, but yeah, now we're getting a flash forward to 
today, which back in 2001 was in October 16th, I believe. So, and I, we get our first look at Tom Welling here. Um, he's looking at sort of strange stories uh, that I guess he's searching for maybe someone like him, but Tom Welling was a bit awkward here. Uh, <laughs> it was his first real kind of gig. Uh, he was a model previously and he had done a couple of guest episodes, but this was, you know, all of a sudden he was put in this show and he was having to act with the likes of Annette Benning, John Schneider, Michael Rosenbaum, and he, he was a little awkward. And because Clark was awkward at this point, it, he kind of pulled it off. But I think his acting definitely got better as he got more familiar with the Clark Kent role, the mythos, and the show in general. In this scene, he's trying to convince Martha and Jonathan to let him join the football team they are very nervous about that they've it's clear that they know he has powers and there's been testing with the powers but they don't think he's quite ready to join the football team and play in a competitive environment where he could possibly injure himself or probably not himself but injure other players definitely and he's not really taking to that feedback very well he feels like he's being overprotected, but he's not taking it too hard, you know, in this scene. He's he's had his beer, he's a little grumpy, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he understands that they have a point. He's just seen the school bus kind of um, uh, disappear in the sun, not the sunset, it's the break of dawn. But, like, he's just seen the school bus move forward, he's missed it. But we're going to get a chance to see the first special superpower on this Clark Kent's show. So we know he has super speed because he's racing the school bus. He's jetting through the cornfields. And the, the visual effects here are a, a little bit rough. But, you know, this is an effect that they would really learn to um, make seamless and have you know do interesting stuff with it because they'd be using it a lot uh, we we get introduced to chloe and pete uh, both in sort of the school bus scene now at high school and we get to see that he does have friends clark he's not a peter parker style loner he's he's got his allies and that allows us to you know see okay what what are the dynamics here uh does chloe have a crush on him at this point she seems completely platonic and but with pete he's obviously uh, pete doesn't have a crush on clark um but he he is a good friend and um he's going to be someone who's probably expecting to play football with clark at this point but obviously clark's not getting the signature signed by his parents here they're kind of just, you know, talking about, what are they talking about? Let me tune in here. Oh, they're talking about um, the sort of scarecrow incident. Um, they're, they're concerned that because they're freshmen, they might be targeted, uh, like that boy in the meteor shower was targeted. Uh, we also get introduced to Lana Lang in this scene and She's played by Kristen Krug, and here 
she is uh, quite a sight for sore eyes. Uh, she uh, definitely makes Clark weak in the knees, literally, and it, you can see why. I mean, she's just stunning, and while her look isn't completely identical to the comics, I mean, she's so kind of beautiful, you, you, you can't ignore that. And we, we kind of get a sense that Clark getting weak in the knees and stumbling around Lana isn't because he's just a complete dork, but because she's wearing a kryptonite necklace, which, you know, is a, a sort of uh, kind of a, a piece of the meteor that kind of killed her parents, which is, which is a little bizarre. I'm not going to lie. That's a little bizarre. But, you know, uh, we also, in this scene, get to hear... Lana say the word Superman, you know, at this point she's referring to a book Clark is carrying where it's it's by Frederick Nietzsche who um, put out the idea of the Ubermensch or translated as Superman. So the line she says is, what are you Clark, man or Superman? And perfectly Clark replies, well, I haven't decided yet and or I'm not sure yet. And it's just perfect because what it's doing is it's taking some sort of real life material and then applying it into this superman world so it just becomes really current and it it allows people to kind of tap into some of these ideas without it not it without it being done in a hokey way and uh, we also get introduced to whitney ford who's lana's boyfriend and uh, you know he's a jock obviously the good looking jock with a good looking girl this isn't a conceit that's super original but the way it's all being handled here it's pretty fresh uh, we also get a chance to see Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor for the first time uh, he's bored now and we get to kind of understand that that was because of the meteor shower but his character is introduced because he's been tasked to manage the Luther Corp uh, subsidiary in Smallville and it's it's not something he's happy about he, he's, he's like this is a nowhere dump town and now I'm here to manage things this is this is not a great place to be also get to see uh, Lana as a cheerleader which is canon all the way from Superman the movie the comics they're being faithful here and with Lana being the cheerleader Whitney being a star football player you can understand why Clark wanted to join the football team and you know He's, he's being a little stalkerish here. He didn't need to be doing his work by the cheerleading squad, but, you know. Uh, if you've seen Superman Returns, some of the stalker-like tendencies that Superman has, they've always kind of been there, and they've always tried to pull it off in a geeky, charming way. So, that's that. And then this is an instance, um, again, this shot is kind of used over and over again, the marketing. It was a pretty great set piece where Lex kind of loses control over his car and bashes right into Clark Kent. And that's when these two people collide for the first time. You know, it's, it's a very fresh take. The whole idea of having Lex and Clark first sort of meet and interact with each other in Smallville is, is not a very pop... It's not, well, it's become popular, but it's never been a something that people are familiar with. So for them to do it here, it, it puts a lot of sort of like, what about the secret identity? What about or X, Y, Z? How, how do they, 
now that they know each other, what's it going to be like in the future when there's Superman and he's evil Lex Luthor? So, but before we can kind of look at that, it's it's just a fascinating concept that they're approaching, and you're just it's just kind of visually stunning how they've done this scene, and you know a great kind of testament to David Nutter's talents. And essentially the first person Superman saving, or Clark Kent saving, is Lex Luthor in the small little universe. Uh, it becomes a point of obsession and fascination for Lex Luthor, which we get to see in a whole slew of future episodes. But here he's, he's just kind of taking it all in. He thought he was a goner. You know, he crashed his car into a person, then off a barricade and into the water. Uh, into the sort of riverbed below, and he's now still alive uh, and resuscitated. So that's that's where we had our commercial break. We had a black screen because it's not live right now. And uh, the first thing we get to see is Clark with a red blanket around him. Now, again, another sort of visual cue on Clark and a red cape. But it doesn't stand out. They also put a red blanket over Lex, so it, it doesn't look too on the nose. But it, it is a nice sort of visual cue, and they do a lot of that in Smallville. Uh, Jonathan Kent's first brush with Lex Luthor is Lex Luthor running over his, his son. And while he knew this wouldn't kill Clark, or he may, or may not have known the limits of Clark's strengths and powers, but he was concerned about top, you know Clark being found out and him getting crashed into at full speed gives him a lot of visibility that Jonathan doesn't want to invite for sure. We're up at um, Clark's barn. Uh, I guess the Clark's barn is sort of like the proto-fortress of solitude and um, Clark's stalker tendencies um, kind of return here where he takes a telescope. <laughs> God, this sounds so bad and weird when you just describe it. He's got a telescope and he's focusing in on Lana and <laughs> obviously Lana's surprised by Whitney coming behind him but then Clark looking pissed off like what do you do there and I'm like Clark that's that's her boyfriend right now you shouldn't be pissed off for him showing up that's kind of his whole whole deal you know and at this point Whitney hasn't really done anything to invite Clark's derision besides dating the girl he's into so um yeah, just a, a kind of scene with Lara and Whitney here. I think this this relationship, they really played it nicely. And it wasn't too kind of... You couldn't understand why she'd be into this person, having him just be a foil for Clark. But this Whitney had, had personality. And, um, you know, you could tell what Lana could maybe see in him. He's not a bad guy at this point. And, um, you know, she she's given him his her, crypt, her kryptonite necklace right now, which you know that's going to play into something and uh, have impact there. So, you know, I, I think this triangle, they didn't hold on it too long. It kind of dominated the first season, but it, it really... Um, you know, it did its job, which is you want to see Clark kind of get 
kicked in the shins a bit and realised that he's not with that girl. She's with someone else and there's really nothing you can do about it right now. Also, in this episode, they really set up, as I said, the notion of the meteor shower linking to other events in this town. And what it did was it created this sort of notion that kryptonite could give other people powers and abilities, which, you know, would make them essentially foils for Clark Kent. And we get this first guy, I don't remember his name, but we, we instantly recognize him as sort of the younger kid who was put in that sort of crucified position during the meteor shower that killed Lana's parents, that hurt a lot of people, and that the one, the guy Lex saw. I mean, they've tried to age him up a little bit, but it's still pretty obvious that it was that kid who was strung up in the cornfield. And he's now got some sort of electricity power. And this, this effect, uh, it's really tough to have electricity look you know interesting as a power and then also look realistic so they kind of just had a like lightning effects here and i guess it did the job of showing that this guy is capable of killing people with his electric powers okay so then we get to a scene here where we get sort of the first moral lesson that smallwood go the first of many that were upcoming but Lex Luthor has gifted Clark a brand new pickup truck for saving his life. And um, Le Clark, Clark is absolutely ecstatic over this. He's, um, you know, being told by Martha that the dad, Jonathan Kent, has issues with this. And he's kind of confronting him and saying, you know, what's the big deal? I saved this guy's life. He's gifting me a car, what's the big deal? And Jonathan has preconceived notions about Luther Corp, the Luthers, how they've displaced farmers, and he, he doesn't like the Luthers very much, but I think the bigger thing he kind of explains to Clark is, you don't accept gifts for saving people, you know? Um, it's, it's a, you did save someone, that's a good thing, but you're not supposed to, you know, just, take gifts and you know be really you know be accepting of them Clark's lashing out at this and he's I, I think it's a byproduct of him not understanding everything that's going on with him so he portrays this by putting his hand in a wood chipper again a really graphic sort of display of his powers uh, I think something similar to this would be like an unbreakable when one of the and when uh, Bruce Willis's kid tries to almost shoot him and prove to him and his powers um, putting his hand in a wood chipper is like you definitely don't do anything something like that they should have had a pre like a warning like do not try it at home before this scene started but uh, he, it got the point across which is a wood chipper is no match for Clark Kent <laughs> um, this also gives way to Jonathan Kent understanding that Clark's getting to his age where he's getting a he's He's not understanding what's going on with him. He has a lot of questions. And it's time to give him at least some answers. I mean, Jonathan again doesn't have all the answers, but he might be able to provide some insight that make things a little bit more clear for Clark. And the first piece in this is a sort of insight around the spaceship that 
it's likely that Clark's an alien, that he's not from this world, which, <laughs> which is kind of surprising for him because I, this wasn't told to him at an earlier age. All he was, they probably didn't even kind of talk about what, what does this have an extraterrestrial component to it. They were just probably like, you got these powers, just let's let's deal with them one by one, and see where your limits are. But this notion of now kind of, you know, telling him you're an alien, we have your spaceship in our cellar, is quite the revelation. And it's one that you don't get the sense Clark is going to be ready for. Because, yeah, he wants answers, but no one wants to be told that you're an alien and you're not of us. You know, you're not really a part of us as a race, a human race. So he's pretty shaken about this, Clark. He's, he's demanding why his dad didn't tell, about, tell him about this before and he's like why we why didn't you why don't you tell me and Jonathan is like we were protecting you and Clark's not having it, any of it he just jets off and races off into the night and this is where we we're like where is he going to go where is he going to end up and it takes us to our next scene where Lana Lang is dropping off flowers at her parents grave sites and um that and we see Clark come out and he stands in front of a statue with angel wings on it. So that's a little, not super subtle in terms of the whole savior part of it, but there he is. And this scene I have issues with because it is a pretty dramatic scene. It's not super well written, but this is where you kind of get the sense that these are new actors working on this stuff and a lot is being asked of them they're having to say some of this dialogue which some of it is kind of interesting it makes sense that it's trying to get them to bond uh, other parts are really cringeworthy and you know here Tom Welling is supposed to look like he's he's been crying and uh, he just looks just cold and um, not super you know, kind of, he, he, he's trying his hardest, and but it's not super convincing. Uh, Kristen Krug seems a bit more at home with some of this dialogue. I, th I think she is a bit more experienced. She had done a Snow White movie and some additional acting in Canada, but she, she does fare better in this scene. She's introducing him to her dead parents, so she's introducing him to their gravestones and it's just a, a pretty bizarre scene like i i get that and i maybe i don't maybe i'm wrong about it i don't know the intense psychological effect that having both of your parents kind of die in front of you has but here it's kind of suggested that lana has like this has definitely not let go of this notion of her parents having died and like talks to them whether you know they're kind of, she has this capability to talk whether she's essentially talking to herself mentally or not or has some mental issues they don't really dive into that they just kind of have this scene as kind of 
give it an additional level of depth there she's not just dropping flowers off she's having conversations with her dead parents um she's having she's passing along messages from her dead parents to clark and from clark back to her dead parents and you know you just gotta go with this scene that's all i can say um there's a bit of humor there i, I think there's this one line where they're like, is Clark interested in the girl right now? And, or is he with a girl right now? And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm available pretty much. And they're like, well, is it a boy? And he's like, no, definitely not. So, ha ha. That's really the only kind of element of life I see in this scene, no pun intended. But uh, again, it's, it's a pretty grueling one. And these sorts of scenes between Lana and Clark, I think, you know they definitely got better and they they got you got to see more and more chemistry out of this pairing than you do at this first night i'd say there's more chemistry in that first initial scene where clark stumbles and he when he sees uh, lana she's just like you know just the way she's interacting with them but here you kind of get to see them in a good mood hanging out i i think i'd come down on whitney's side here Whitney gets to see a glimpse of this. He sees his his pretty good-looking girlfriend, which he should be protective of, and this other really good-looking dude as well. So he's going to be insecure about this. He's not going to react well to knowing that there's another dude talking to his girlfriend in the middle of the night and just hanging around with her. So... In this scene, I think we're... Oh, she even gives him a kiss on the cheek. I mean, you know, you see Whitney in the shadows there. I, I, I fall on Whitney's side here because... And Clark's smiling a bit. He's like, yeah, I got a kiss on the cheek. And Whitney sees this on the porch and he's like, no, absolutely not. This is, this is infuriating. And you can kind of understand why. The writers probably want us, wanted us to be rooting for Clark and be like, oh, Clark and Lana had a moment. But, again, it's uh, I'm not fully on board with that. But I guess a lot of teenagers, when they watch that, are. you know. Again, at first, uh, we're going to get to see the first interaction between Clark and Lex. Uh, Lex is fencing and... Clark's getting to see this. Lex rages out because he lost the fencing match. But then he sees Clark, so he's, he's, he's bringing his tone back. And, um, you know, you really kind of got to take, take a step back and just appreciate how well Michael Rosenbaum ended up fitting into this role. And he just had made choices right from the beginning and you could tell this guy's charming, he's got a sense of humor, he's intensely intelligent, and he, he's, he's not the sort of Lex Luthor that's been portrayed in previous incarnations. And since this is a younger Lex, Rosenbaum and the writers and everyone had a lot of freedom to sort of reinterpret this character in a way that made sense. Uh, you see him kind of touching his bald head, kind of explaining to Clark, kind of why it's why it is the way it is, and you know just 
how he, he looks at himself, how he perceives himself. And, you know, that's, you know, he's been pretty vulnerable with Clark right off the bat, but Clark did save his life. And uh, here you see kind of Clark rejecting, rejecting his um, gift. And this is one of the most interesting lines of dialogue exchange here when Lex looks at Clark and says, do you believe a man can fly? And it's, he's kind of talking about this sort of experience that he had, this near-death experience where he crashed into Clark and almost died. But just having a line like that uh, told with such a sort of straight-faced kind of seriousness, I mean, it was delivered so well, it really gave this sense that epic things are at work here. And the fact that he would say to Clark, do you believe a man can fly? Uh, it ties in nicely with the marketing campaign to Christopher Reeve's Superman movie where they said, you'll believe a man can fly, you know. And um, I got it's, it's just a great scene. And it's, it's, uh, it just tells you why you've got to stick around for this show. Um, I love this sort of digital camera Chloe's holding. Um, they're kind of investigating the person who has died at the hands of the sort of freak of the week that they would be known as from this point forward or um, once people got to understand that meteorites would be creating the villains on the Smallville show and um, yeah I think the technology stuff is some of the stuff that ages the show a little bit because they do show try to show Chloe being kind of cutting edge and you know she's using pretty large digital cameras these printers are pretty old and I, I remember they have some of these iMacs that were pretty popular in the early 2000s where they had like colors like purple and green and stuff and um, you know you, you kind of just uh, take take that in stride and you you enjoy the more timeless aspects of the show, show which is the kind of great writing and the fact that this these characters are really interesting and they have a great dynamic with one another. Here, um, Chloe and Pete kind of introduce Clark to this wall of weird wall that they have, which talks about the bizarre phenomenons that have been occurring in Smallville since the meteor shower that impacted a lot of different pieces. It's also a pivotal scene where Clark starts to understand and he's introduced to this notion that it was the meteor storm that killed Lana's parents and knowing that his ship brought the meteor storm he definitely feels that sense of responsibility and they have essentially Lana on the cover of Time magazine which you know it, it, it's a powerful cover it's great that they were able to use Time magazine I guess it's uh, one of the perks of having Warner Brothers as your parent corporation and uh, yeah, Clark's really disturbed by this, that he may have indirectly had a hand in having Clark, uh, Lana's parents die. So he's not having any of it, but Whitney's ready to settle the score with Clark. I saw you kind of hanging out with my girl, we have a problem. Now this is the area where you could say Cl Whitney kind of lashes out, but then Clark also does throw the first punch. He doesn't just take the attack, which Maybe you could say it was preemptive self-defense. 
Whitney is wearing the Lana's necklace, and um, it's got the kryptonite on it. So this is where you're going to get this this entire conceit that kryptonite does affect Clark for sure, and it's going to be able to be used to turn him into this sort of scarecrow that 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 sort of hazing ceremony that they did years back to this this episode's freak of the week. Um, this guy with electric powers. Now Clark gets to be on this sort of uh, the stake as a scarecrow in a sort of crucifixion pose. This was the Smallville marketing campaign in a nutshell. Get Tom Welling with his shirt off in boxes and you know plaster that all across the globe. And considering Smallville's pilot became the highest rated show on the WB, that was a pretty successful marketing campaign. But um, here you have uh, Clark with an S on his chest, but it's not, again, it's great because they're, they're showing this S on the chest of Clark Kent, but here it's under this thing where S stands for Scarecrow. It's not, he's not in a great position. And again, with him being in sort of the crucifixion pose, the Jesus symbolism is, is at its most intense. Um, you know, I don't know what their protocol is. Like, you keep them there and then recover them, or do you just keep them there until um, someone else finds them? So, and as I said, okay, so Lex comes to the scene in the cornfield. He immediately recognizes the dude from when his childhood, who was the scarecrow back in the day of the meteor shower, and now is back at this cornfield. He's startled, he's, and now he discovers Clark in that position of being the Scarecrow. So this, in a way, I guess you could say, is a way Lex gets to save Clark. And I think it would have been, they, they were able to work it where Clark just falls, and then the meteor necklace falls off of him, and then he's back to normal. It would have been more obvious to Lex that the necklace, the necklace was causing issues, but... If, if he had put, like told Lex to pull it off or something, but he just kind of lucked out here. The only thing here is that the necklace is something that is now in Lex's position, possession, and um, you know, the mystery continues. It, it, it's essentially like it's leaving a clue, and those clues are what Lex becomes more and more obsessed about throughout the course of the show. You see, um, this is like a homecoming dance. Uh, obviously, you gotta have Lana and Whitney be the homecoming king and queen. And then Chloe and Pete are dancing about, but again, they're just kind of friends and it kind of always stays that way on the show. They never kind of romantically linked Chloe and Pete. This, this confrontation here is where Clark kind of gets to face the old scarecrow who now has electricity powers, and you get the first sort of hero-villain showdown. Uh, this is something you would expect to see in a Superman show, and here you get to get it, but under, you know, he's not wearing tights, no one's in ridiculous costumes, it's just two guys facing off. And Clark's just kind of used super speed, but it, it was done in a very subtle way. And clearly the electric powers are having no impact on Clark. 
So these two guys, I don't know, the, the, the whole thing is when these villains face off against Clark, they have to figure out a way to make it so that they, they kind of become incapacitated or they have their memory wiped so that they're not just rehabilitated and be like, yeah, I had, I had weird, crazy stuff happen to me, but then I went up against Clark Kent and now clearly that you guys should look into that guy as well because he was he was fighting against me and he was holding his own. So that they never do that. They kind of figure out a way where, you know, you can have the violent confrontations, you can have the fights but then the villains either will die in the process or they'll be put in a position where they won't be able to tell authorities, like, I've got to watch out for Clark Kent. So here, Clark used water to um, incapacitate the Electro-type villain here. And he's, he's kind of out for the count. Just bad electric effects just circling him around. And yeah, he's he's like, who am I? Where you know, where am I? And so, Clark's in the clear that way. He saved the day, but he doesn't have to worry about someone trying to figure out his identity or not identity, just figure out he has powers, which could open a can of worms for him. All right, we're uh, back at this homecoming dance, and. Really, this scene just kind of lay back into Clark, make him feel a bit more grief, walk into the homecoming dance just to get to see Lana and Whitney kiss. Not great timing. And um, it allows him to feel that teenage angst, you know. And, oh man, that was rough. Yeah, you see just Tom Welling's eyes just drop, his face drops, and you're like, this probably never happened to this guy ever, and he's having to act like, you know, he's he's finished second best here. But anyway, he's back at the barn. Um, you know, he's just seen Lana kiss Whitney, so I don't know why he's going to check this out again, but you see Whitney, not Whitney, you see Lana show up at his barn, and um, it all seems a little too good to be true. This notion that Lana would come after the homecoming prom to Clark Kent's barn and want to have a dance with him. It's, it's a little puzzling. And he sees Clark smiling and you're just like... In hindsight, yeah, in hindsight I don't think, when I saw it, I think I was like, wow, what is she doing there? Like, she was just dancing with Whitney. Does she have feelings for Clark? Is she showing up all of a sudden? But really, this scene is just about pulling a fast one on us. Uh, Clark was just imagining it. He's still alone up in that barn. And um, Lana's getting dropped off by Whitney. Thing is, is you, you know like 80% of the time when you spy on Lana, she's probably going to be kissing Whitney or something. So, like, why put yourself through that? But he was, at this time, really pining after her. So, you know, he got to see that. You, you, you set it up that he's in love with this girl or madly obsessed with her. And infatuation is the perfect word at this point. I think they develop and see why more and more that they, there's a huge connection there. But at this point, it's a lot of great teenage infatuation. 
And that's how they wrap up the pilot. Clark pining and looking onwards as Lana gets dropped off by Whitney. And uh, you're left in this place where you're like, oh, I definitely, I'm in. I'm definitely in. The, the music is great. Uh, they, they left this episode off with everything by Lifehouse, which, you know, at that time, that those guys were really kicking the high gear with their music and building a lot of fans. So a lot of popular, interesting music and some not so popular music that Smallville as a show introduced us to. But oh, this, this pilot episode really hit on the right notes. It's, it's probably one of the most perfectly structured pilots. Uh, it, it obviously got huge ratings and it tested really well. So this pilot got a lot of investment and it was put through to series. And it did a perfect job of setting up what this show would be from this point forward. You'd get to see Superman elements, you'd get to see Lex, Luther, Clark Kent elements. You get to see a lot of development and characterization. And that is really, you know, what this show became known for and why it was able to ha develop such a rabid fan base because these people just love these characters. And for all the diehard Superman fans, there'd be enough Superman Easter eggs in there to keep us coming back for more, to be like, what more Superman-related stuff is he going to be doing or is going to come his way? So just a really fantastic pilot episode. I really enjoyed visit it, revisiting this one and I'm looking forward to taking on future episodes. Uh, I'm sure this, this podcast has been a bit of rocky listening as I've been probably saying a lot of ums and so's and ands. I hope I'll become a better podcaster and be, geez, I just did it again. I'll become a better podcaster as a result of this podcast and we'll be able to develop this show and have a lot of fun with it and you know really appreciate where this where things held up and where you know where we write the first time to have issues with it overall it's a fantastic show and this was a fantastic episode look forward to hitting on the second episode next week please follow us at smallville pod on twitter and as I said before, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at smallvillesessions at gmail.com. Thanks very much. Have a great week.